Well, it is the beginning of January, beginning of the new year, as we have been reminded. And um, it's often a time where we make those New Year's resolutions, be they good or bad. How many, I'm just going to take a little survey, don't be embarrassed, but how many of you, and you can even do this at home, how many of you have made a New Year's resolution for this year? Okay. How many have already broken it? Yeah, we're only a few days in. That's the problem with, with New Year's resolutions. You can make them and you can say, I want to lose 10 pounds, 40 pounds, whatever it happens to be. And you do real well for the first few days and then it kind of slides away. Um, we uh, do that. Most of us have made those kinds of promises, those kinds of plans to do something new in the new year and hope that it continues on. That's the way resolutions work. Well, today's passage in Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17, talks about a resolution that we can and should, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should uh, adhere to, and it's a great place to start in the new year. It's a good opportunity for us to say, once again, I'm going to start fresh and anew, uh, according to what God tells us, the directives that he has for us. We are changed people. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are changed people. But sometimes we need a reminder of that change. And Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, begins to give us what that change is to look like. How this new year is to be started and finished at the end of 2021. No matter what happens in this year, good or bad or ugly... No matter what it is, these are directives for us, no matter what life brings us. It's joys and it's sorrows. And we don't really know what this year brings. We didn't know what last year was going to bring. And we surely don't know what this year is going to bring as well. So let us take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. I'm going to read the passage and then come back and make some comments. Now this, I hear the Apostle Paul is writing. Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life that God, because of ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous, and then given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and that you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry, 
and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed to the day of redemption. And let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Where we were and where God wants us to be. You see, the problem here that Paul is alluding to is a problem of the, first of all, of the mind. It's, he's talking about a, a disorientation of the mind. A destructive nature of the mind, a distortion of the mind. It started way back in Genesis when Adam and Eve were approached by the serpent, approached by Satan who tempted them, who uh, confused their minds, who gave them a uh, distortion of what reality was and tempts them and says to them, is there anything that you should not be doing? Is there any fruit that you should not be eating? Food that you should not be eating? And Eve gives an allusion to that everything is good for us except this one thing, this one tree, that we're not supposed to touch it. God has set it there. Satan confuses Eve's mind by saying, um, that tree is good. It's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. And it will make you like God. And in that disorientation of the mind, both Eve and Adam ate of that fruit and entered into what we refer to now is sin as brokenness with God, about wrong thinking about who God is and what God desires them to do. There's a biblical scholar um, who says this. He wrote this. He said, sins are not the cause of the problem, but a result of the problem. The problem lies in the mind and in the choices made against God. We think that we've got it together. We think that we're really in control. We think that we know the better way, and so we go that way. Our mind leads us that way, and when we go that way in disobedience to God, we make those choices that stand against him. He goes on to say, the verses here 
uh, reflect a Jewish understanding of idolatry, which is the root of all sin. And greed is the sin that accompanies all sin. It's idolatry that brings about the rest of sin. It was idolatry for Eve and for Adam to say, we are going to stand in the place of God. They built their idol, and that idol was themselves. We need to remember, though, that when God created Adam and Eve, he said, let us make them in our image. Let them be the bearers of God in the world. Let us join with them and let them join with us to take care of this beautiful thing that I've created, this good thing. They reflected, represented, bore in themselves the very image of God, but when their minds became confused, they made actions that put them as God. And they got greedy. And they took that which they shouldn't have taken. And that is where those without Jesus find themselves. Apart from Jesus, that is the life, that is the place of our mind in all of its confusion. And Paul addresses that and he says, don't walk any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their mind. The Gentiles representing here those who are without Christ. And the Apostle Paul says they are futile in their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding. They don't have a clue of what is going on. And Paul says, don't be like them. The more we follow their ways, the more we set ourselves up as God, the more we let our minds be distorted, the harder our hearts get. Verse 19, they become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality. Note this one, they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. They just do not just practice impurity, they are greedy. They want more. I am doing sinful things and I want to sin more. Now most of us probably do not think that thought on a regular basis. I'm enjoying sin so much, and I want to do more. We may not say that with our minds, but our activities, our actions of our lives often bear that out. We keep on doing those things that are contrary to the way and the will of God. Paul says we should not be living that way. That's not what we have, as verse 20 says, that's not the way you have learned Christ. So in verse 22, he says, put off the old self. At the beginning, if we could use it for today, the beginning of the beginning of this new year is put off the old self, 
that which stands in contrast to God. Put it off, the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. Here's the resolution we are to all take. It works for all of us. Every day, the focus and the goal of my life is to be a little bit more like Jesus. You're not going to get the whole thing done tomorrow. But we should be able to look back and say, I'm a little bit more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. It's like losing weight at the beginning of the year. I want to lose 40 pounds. You just don't stop eating on one day and expect to stand on the scale the next day and have 40 pounds gone. No, it, it's little by little by little. It's ounce by ounce. It's half pound by half pound that you continually work at changing your diet and your exercise. And yes, I'm preaching to myself right now that you need to uh, change a lifestyle little by little. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, as he told the Ephesians, little by little, follow Jesus. Every day, more like Jesus. Every day, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. It says, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit, again he comes back to it, in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a call back to God's good garden. When he created man and woman and he said, this is very good. It's what we created to be. It's what Jesus came back to earth to cause recreation in our lives. To give us the opportunity to start over. Wouldn't you love just to, you look back over your life, especially those of you who have a few extra years, and you look back and go, I wish I would have never made that decision. I like to go back and just turn back time and say, I'm not going to be stupid like I was then. I'm going to make the right decision. I think we can all go back to those times. But Jesus tells us that we can leave those things. Those are the things of the past. We are to put on the newness, new life, new likeness of God, to go back to what we are created to be. And because of this new image bearing, the likeness of God, Paul gives us uh, some ethical responses to the reordering of our minds. You remember Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12. He said, I appeal before you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your, some versions say, spiritual worship. 
Some versions say reasonable worship. Presenting yourself as a living sacrifice to God is what is expected of us. And he tells us how that living sacrifice work is to take place. In verse 2 of Romans 12, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you will be able to test and approve what God's perfect will is. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we are to have a renewed mind. And it starts by pushing aside the things of this world. To no longer be conformed to this world. And that's going to mean different things for different people. Of those things in the world that grab your attention more than God grabs your attention. A couple days before New Year's, I uh, made a decision. And this is going to seem like a small decision to some of you, and to some of you it's going to seem like a huge decision. I determined to uh, turn off, remove the app, um, you know, shut down my use of both of, of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Some of you are saying, what in the world is he talking about? Some of you know very well what I'm talking about. Because for me, these things were grabbing too much of my time and causing me to have uh, crazy thoughts. They were not bringing uh, unity and peace to my mind. They were putting me in that uh, disorientation of mind. There are people who I've been friends with for decades. And I read some of the things they put on Facebook and I want to reach through there and just grab them by the neck and slap them around a little bit until they get the idea, my idea, of the way things should be. But we put off the old, and, and what that putting off of the old is going to look different to different people. Some of you don't struggle with the things that I struggle with. And that's good. But most of us have a struggle somewhere that is contrary to the will of God. So we need to renew our mind. What does the renewal of our mind look like? Here are some ethical actions that Paul wants us to take, starting in verse 25. He says, we are to put away falsehood and speak the truth with our neighbor. I said a couple of weeks ago, I gave, I told you about the church that we came from, that on the back, it said, back of the wall, it says, um, speak truth, love well. We are called to speak truth with our neighbors. And that truth is not just always pointing out the log in their eye, or the speck in their eye, while we have the log in our own, as Jesus reminds us. But we are supposed to speak the truth in love, not in putting away all falsehood. I once heard somebody say that if you speak truth all the time, you can have a very short memory. It's when we speak falsehood that we have to remember, what did I tell Bill? 
because now Sam is asking. And I wasn't quite honest with Bill, and I know Bill and Sam talk to one another, so I need to make sure that I tell one the same thing as I tell the other. Well, if I'm just going to be willing to speak truth, not mix it with falsehood, I don't have to remember so much. I just always speak what the truth is. We're called to speak truth. The ethics of speaking truth. In verse 26, he says, we are to uh, be angry. We can be upset, but we can't sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Be angry. It's, it's a tough one. How, how do I be angry and not sin? God gets angry, and God doesn't sin. So it is possible, as image bearers of God, it is possible to be angry and not sin. We just have to choose the right kind of anger in the right kind of situation. I'm called to love you, not be angry with you. If there is a misstep in your life, if there is sin in your life, the scriptures do tell us that we are to go and try to right that with a brother or a sister so that we may win them and walk in fellowship with one another. We are told to do that, but without anger. We are to... Treat others, as Jesus says, as we want to be treated. This uh, phrase that Paul uses is also uh, in a form found in uh, Psalm 4. Verse 4, the psalmist writes, Tremble, tremble, be angry, but do not sin. And he gives an answer to how we do that. He says, meditate in your heart on your bed and be still. When you're caught up with anger, one of the best things you can do is to go to bed. Put your head on the pillow and meditate on God's word and be still. Ask the Holy Spirit to still and quiet your heart, to give you wisdom to know how to respond. Be still. Meditate on the word of God. It is out of that that we will be able to love and respond rightly to anger. Verse 27 says, we are not to give the devil an opportunity. We don't give him an occasion to set up residency around us. We don't 
open the door for Satan to enter into our uh, situations, our lives. I firmly believe that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residency in my life. That is not a place for Satan to take up residency in the life of the Christian, but Satan can still affect us. Sin is still very real. There is still temptation. There is still a host of that can affect us in our lives. Don't give the devil an opportunity. Choose right, choose good, follow Jesus, keep in tune with the Holy Spirit. In verse 28 he says, work well. Don't steal, but work well. It's interesting that he notes here why we are to work well so we can share with those in need. That's the reason we work well. That's the reason we give ourselves to the work that we have been given to do. Rather than being takers, we're called to be givers. Uh, Linda and I um, had a dear friend, uh, um, much older than, than we are. He's in heaven now. Uh, but my father-in-law did his estate planning and uh, showed him how to handle his stocks and his properties in such a way that he was able to increase his income and his, his worth exponentially. And when my father-in-law showed him what was available to him, his response is, or was, now I have more to give away to God's work. He saw that what was given to him, what was a, a result of hard work, was given to him for the purpose of blessing others. And he supported scores, he and his wife supported scores of missionaries and Christian endeavors and camps and schools. And he took care of his own family as well. The work we are given to do is given to us so that we can help others. Verses 29 and 30 says that we are to speak words of encouragement and grace to each other. That when we see each other walking down the street or when we encounter each other in church, the workplace, our goal is to encourage one another, to speak words of grace. Linda and I knew another uh, senior adult, and I have to be careful about seeing senior adults because I'm now classified as a senior adult. I, we went over to Coburn's the other day, and I pulled in the parking lot, and I, there's a sign there, and the sign says, parking for senior adults. And I thought, I can park there. You know, I can get the street, and I realized that there are people who should park there besides me. But, um, but this lady was a senior adult, and she 
prayed, her prayer was that every day, especially as she came to church, she would look for a person. She would ask God to show her a person in church that she could speak a word of encouragement to. Can you imagine how church would change if all of us woke up this morning and said, God, one of the most important things I want to do today, one of the things I want you to help me do today with great joy and excitement and grace is that you would point me to a person that I could encourage. Now, the neat thing is you don't know who that person is. So you have to encourage a whole lot of people in hopes that you find the right person. But how about if we all just prayed that in the morning? May all of my words today, may every person I encounter today, may I lift them up, may I encourage them, may I speak a word of grace to them. It'd be an amazing place. Speak words of encouragement. And then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't bring grief to the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden the heart of the Holy Spirit by what you choose to do, what you choose to say. And we can do that. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can cause him to be saddened by our activities. And so we need to choose rightly. Will this activity that I'm involved in bring joy to the Holy Spirit? And we are sealed by him. He is with us. And then we are to put, like speaking those words of encouragement, verse 31 tells us that we are to put away all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander, and all malice. I had the opportunity to um, uh, be a youth pastor, and uh, we worked with a, a good, a large group of kids, and we had a number of kids, probably uh, five or six guys and five or six gals, that we spent extra time with discipling to help minister to the rest of the kids that came. And uh, these guys were always at each other, just good friends, but always poking the finger at the guy, you know, always... Uh, Maybe being a little bit sarcastic, bringing them down. And there were times that we would meet in my office for Bible study and planning, and I would hear them going at it. And I would open up my Bible to this passage and a passage like it, and I was sitting behind my desk, and I would take my glasses off like this, and I would just sit there in silence. And all of a sudden, everybody realizes that I'm not saying anything. And... Um, they kind of got the idea that I was upset. And I read, read to them passages like Ephesians. I've got to put my glasses back on. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Paul writes in another passage that we are to speak words that are uplifting and fruitful and I would tell those guys sitting across the table. In fact, I didn't have to tell them much. I just read the word and they kind of hung their heads. And I said, we are called as brothers to speak kindly to each other. 
to lift one another up. Be kind in our words and our deeds. And lastly, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, soft-hearted, forgiving one another. And then he tells us what that forgiveness is to be modeled by, and he says, as God in Christ forgave you. To the point that you have been forgiven as a follower of Jesus, we are to forgive one another. That doesn't mean that we turn our backs to things that have gone wrong or sinful activity. We can speak to those things, but we come with a heart that is tender and that wants to be kind and whose desire is to forgive. It's hard work. It can only happen when the Holy Spirit is in control. It's interesting that both this word forgiving and the word forgave, at its root has the word charis, the word grace. When we offer forgiveness to one another, we are offering grace. We're offering freedom. We're opening the door for God to work, for his love to be experienced. So um, here we are at the beginning of a new year, a great opportunity for us to say, today's going to be different. This year is going to be different. I am going to conform myself to the image of Christ day by day, little by little. Some days I am going to succeed by the power of Holy Spirit and some days I'm going to fail miserably. We all will. But we can move forward together. Following Jesus. Becoming more like him. For as the Apostle Paul writes, that we have been predestined but you know what he says we're predestined to? Not so much to be saved. We are predestined, he says, to be conformed to the image of God's Son. That is the goal and the mark of your life, to be conformed to the image of Christ. My prayer for you and myself is that... Um, we will be able to keep that task and that we can each be brothers and sisters who help each other along the way. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda mb.org that's Bethesda M as in Mary B as in boy dot org or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron have a blessed day